Morning. If you need a copy of uh, God's Word, just slip your hand up and Chad or Jim will be glad to give it to you. If you need that. You can take your Bibles and or your devices and turn to Acts chapter 20 and put your listening guide there and then find the book of Ezekiel. That's one of those uh, give you something to do books. I probably told this story before, but years ago I was doing them. This was, I was still in the business world, so that was a long time ago. I was another uh, many, many moons ago. And I was speaking at a youth thing. There's several hundred teenagers there. And, and I told them, I said, All right, the first one that can find the book of Hezekiah and come up here and show it to me, I'll give you 20 bucks. So this kid jumps up and he runs up there. He goes, and I knew him. He, he played football at one of the local high schools. And I knew I'd been many. I knew him. He lived up far from me. And he comes running up there. And, and he said, I got it, Randy. I got it. I said, Adrian, show it to me. He said, I said, well, let me have your Bible. And I hand him my Bible. He starts flipping through it. He just wanted the 20 bucks. Of course, there is no book of Hezekiah for those of you that are looking. <laughs> and what was interesting about Adrian is he went to evangelical Christian school. I said, Adrian, what are they teaching you over there at ECS? You don't even know the books of the Bible. This kid was, he, you know, he wouldn't play football at the University of Memphis, so I didn't want to cross him too much. But he was a special young man. And uh, we've had a great day already, a special day in many ways. Uh, I've known Macy her whole life, and she's such a, I had the privilege when she was like five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten and coaching her in two different sports, and finally she realized I, perhaps I should find someone that knows what they're doing and allow them to coach me so I can play. I know she's an incredible softball player, so it's uh, very special to see, watch Watch them grow up and become beautiful young ladies, this whole row. It's beautiful young ladies and love Jesus. Uh, sometimes we think that the teenagers, uh, that might be grandkids to me now, that uh, our world is in bad shape and those are the ones that are going to be taken over when we're gone. But the truth is, like that group and many others, a special people. God always has a remnant, his church, that will carry on. And you know, sometimes you get to think about yourself, well, what in the world is going to happen when I'm gone? Well, guess what? Jesus is still in charge, and it's going to be all right. And in many ways, it will probably be better. So uh, it's special to see that. And I know it was for Rhett to be able to baptize his niece, and that, that's just a cool thing. So it's um, been a good day already. So let's go home. Because the Cardinals play shortly, and we want to make sure we don't miss that. Right, Steve? I just, I'm just kidding, man. I, I, I love Steve, my brother. All right. A couple of things I do want to mention to you, and then we were going to we'll get into the book of Acts and uh, Ezekiel. So if you haven't found Ezekiel yet, do that. All right. When you leave today, in case I forget at the end, which is very possible, when you leave today, we've got meals by the front door. We've been doing about once a month, and Lauren uh, brought them from uh, Bartlett. So you can grab those meals. They're free. Take and just give to somebody that uh, you see, whether it's on the side of the road or wherever. You might want to give it to somebody. Just... Give them a free meal in the name of Jesus, and uh, they're, by, they're by the front door on your way out. They're in that cooler. You can just pick them up. Um, speaking of just doing something in the name of Jesus, yesterday we had our help day. And I mentioned to you last Sunday we had a bunch of people that are in Israel right now. We were going to be short. And we had just uh, a lot of people show up 
to serve, and many of you were there. And again, thank you for being there and your faithfulness and serving. And I had one sweet lady call me this week and say, what can I do? And I said, just, just be there. And she was there. And others as well who've never been, said, how do I push a basket? And I said, Chris, I told Chris Ellison, I got this one. Here's how you push a basket. And um, just, I'm telling you, God blesses you when, with one sweet lady, I rolled her out to her car and we're going through the line and they always ask me, you know, and I told her of the pastor and then they, they'd light up like, oh, she said, being the pastor, I want you to pray for my son. I said, okay, what's his name? She said, Tony. Well, Tony's been in prison for 15 years and he has a 52 year sentence. And they're telling me he cannot be paroled. And I, she wouldn't tell me what Tony did, but it had to be pretty egregious to get that kind of sentence. And it's just crushing this mom that her son is going to be in prison basically the rest of his life. And she said, can, can you pray for Tony? I said, yeah. And just the, who gets blessed in that scenario? I do. And just, you know, just tears. So she just hurting over her son. And so many of us, we could go around the room I, that... Uh, Dick Hunter and many of you, as you push, and even if, if you're in there, if you're doing nothing but sweating your tail off doing boxes, guess what? That makes it possible for us to do the rest of it. And I, I'm telling you, it's, uh, God has blessed that ministry, and it's, it's very special that the opportunity to, just to do something loving in the name of Jesus. And yesterday, um, we had almost, when you count everybody we gave something to, it was almost 400 families that we, uh, we ran out of food in, in the, at the very end, which in many ways was a good thing because we're having an inspection this week and we need to clean out our closet. So God, God handled it so we don't have to do all the work. We just give it away. So uh, it was great. And thank you again for being there. And third Saturday of every month, we're going to be doing it. And usually October and November are the two busiest months. So if we had 400 this month, we'll tell you what we'll have in October. So if you can be there... Uh, you will be blessed. Two other things, then we're going to get into the book of Acts. When you came in today, you probably got a little handout like this. It said, uh, Fall 2019 Small Groups. Everybody have that? Wave it if you have. Very good. You got it. I appreciate Rhiannon putting this together. But this is just has a list of all the different small groups we've got going on. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if you're not somewhere studying scripture, being together with another group of believers. You don't have to necessarily do this, but I really encourage you to be part of a small group for accountability reasons, for fellowship reasons, for praying for each other reasons, for uh, uh, that whole idea of coals of fire, uh, encouraging one another. If you're off by yourself, you're just going to get cold. And we need the accountability and the encouragement and the growth, so I appreciate you uh, checking that out, and if you want to be part of it. All right, and then the last thing, and then we will get into the Word of God. I'll do this now because I'll forget at the end. Uh, two weeks from today, we're going to have a congregational meeting right here. Uh, instead of doing the barla this year, we're going to do it here right after church. We're going to finish church. We're going to go out in the parking lot. We're going to have food trucks here, and, and you can get your food and come back in here and eat in the air conditioning if you want to. We don't know what the weather will be in two weeks. And then around 2 o'clock, if you don't want to eat food trucks here, if you want to go home or somewhere else to eat and come back, you come back at, at 2 o'clock right here in the auditorium. We're going to have our annual congregational meeting, and Rhett will do his stellar, as always, job in presenting where we are financially and give you some ideas for things we want to do going forward and how you can pray for us specifically as leaders. As we're talking about leaders the last few years, we're going to wrap up. We're, not, we're going to beat up on our elders one more time today because they're not beat up on enough, 
and then we're going to move on. So, two weeks from today, you just come planning on hanging around and eating lunch afterwards or eating, come back, whatever you'd like to do, and have our annual congregational meeting at 2 o'clock. All right, turn to Acts chapter 20, and we'll take your, your, and again, find Ezekiel 34 if you hadn't, we're going to go there in just a moment. Acts chapter 20, what we're going to look at today, last week we talked about the significance of how much God loves his sheep, and we're going to, that's continue to think what we're talking about today, and we're looking at the end of heading toward the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to see him at Jerusalem. That's the end of the missionary journeys. And from that point, in Acts is a huge turning point. You, sh- you flip the page, and he heads from being a missionary out on the journeys doing the work of God there. He becomes a prisoner. Well, the Jerusalem, and then at Rome, and he's doing ministry there, writing books that are in our Bible today while he's a prisoner. So that will be going forward, and as we wrap up the missionary journeys, and as he's left leaving Ephesus and heading toward Jerusalem and ultimately toward Rome, we've been looking at the end of Acts chapter 20, his, <coughs> his message to the elders at Ephesus. And we emphasized last week, spent a lot of time talking about He was saying to them how significant it is, how important it is that you understand how much God loves his sheep, how special his sheep are to him, and that you lead them in the proper way. Today, we're going to, as we wrap this up today, we're going to look specifically at what he says to how you do that. Last week, we talked about how significant it was that it has to be done and how much God loved them. And I want to read some passage in Ezekiel and then transition back into Acts today as we wrap that up. But today what we're going to look at is, is how he says you need to do that. As a leader, what you should be looking for in your pastor, teachers, your elders, and then as elders, what should we be doing? So I want to start out in Ezekiel 34. So if you will, turn there if you haven't already. Ezekiel chapter 34. And I want you to note what God says through the prophet Ezekiel to some shepherds of that day. Shepherds of Israel, God's people. And I want you just to understand the context as God's speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to those who are supposed to be leading his children. Look at what God says. Ezekiel 34, we're just going to read some of this, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Please note, there's a punctuation mark at the end of that sentence. If there's not in your Bible, there should be one. Anytime you see in the Bible, you'll see it in Revelation, and you'll see it several times in, in the Old Testament. You'll see when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, and particularly like Matthew 23. Anytime God is pronouncing that he's upset and specific judgment, he says to you, Woe to you. That's not a good thing. If God walks up to you and says, yo, if you're from Philadelphia, and God comes to you, yo, whoa, you're in trouble. Woe to you is God saying, pay attention. When Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, he said, woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites, vipers, poisonous snakes, whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside. You're dead on the inside. You're full of dead men's bones. You're leading people to hell. You are going to hell and you're taking people with you. Woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to you. That is not a good thing. So God is saying to Ezekiel here, you speak to these shepherds and you say to them, woe. At that moment, they should have woe, W-O-W-H-O-A. It's a woe, 
pull back on the horse and pay attention because God's trying to say something to you. And notice what he says. You're feeding yourselves. The primary job of a shepherd is to feed whom? Sheep. Not use them for your own personal. We'll see this in a moment. Don't use them for your own personal satisfaction and or financial gain. Feed them. Take care of them. I talked about this last week. You, it's your job to care for them. They are precious to God. So he saying to these shepherds in Ezekiel, Thus says the Lord God, back to verse 2, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. In other words, you're taking good care of yourself, and what are you not doing? You're not doing your job. You're not taking care of the flock. You're not feeding them. You're taking what was for them, and you're making it for you. That's not being a servant. That's being an abuser. Freedom. Verse 4. The weak you've not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick. Nor you bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with, the, with force and cruelty, you've ruled them. It's not an accident that when Jesus was talking about, you know the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin. When Jesus was, he, the audience that he was speaking to was Jewish. They knew immediately he was alluding to passages like this in, in Ezekiel. When Jesus talked about if the shepherd has a hundred sheep and one sheep wanders off, what will the shepherd do? He'll leave the 99 and do what? Go find the one and take care of the one, bind the bones of the one, heal whatever they needed to be healed, protected, because he loved them. What these shepherds are doing, as Ezekiel prophesies, is they're using them, they're ruling them with a cruel iron hand for their own personal benefit. And by the way, we just saw a woe to them. Is God pleased with that? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Verse 5, they're scattered there's no, because there's no shepherd. They became food for all the beasts of the field because they were scattered. The shepherd weren't, shepherds weren't taking care of them, bringing them back in. My sheep wandered through the mountains, and on every high hill my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. No one was seeking or searching for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. It all begins there. We'll see in a moment in Acts. Come back to the word of God and focus on what God has to say, not what you want. One last verse in Ezekiel, and then we're going to Acts. Verse 8. Here's the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Says it again, verse 9, repeats it. Therefore, shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, verse 10, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. Now go to the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts, chapter 20. Let 
God says, because my sheep are in this kind of condition and you've allowed it and it's your fault because of the way you were leading them and ruling them with a cruel iron hand and they've scattered and you're not taking care of them, you're not protecting them, you're not healing, you're not binding them up, you're not caring for them, I will require it at your hand. I, God, am the ultimate and final judge and you will stand before me one day and if you look closely in scripture, God says, if you're a false teacher and you stand before him at judgment day, it is worse for you than anyone else. Because, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, it's one thing for you to be blind, but you're also having them follow you, the blind leading the blind. You don't even know where you're going, and yet they're following you. And I'm not pleased with that. Woe to you. Wake up, return, and shepherd my flock. Do you understand now why this is such a big deal to Paul as he leaves Ephesus? A place he spent longer, he stayed longer than any place else, three years. He loved this place. He loved these sheep. And he'd been there with them and he'd mentored the shepherds. And he, and he said, now I'm leaving. I talked about last week. I've taught you. I've modeled for you. Now you carry it on. Later, Peter would write these words about Paul. Consider the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. Consider that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. That's Peter writing. It's also our beloved brother Paul according to the wisdom given to him, as written to you in all his epistles. Paul talking about the epistles, I mean Peter talking about the epistles of Paul. In all of Paul's epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are, some things are hard to understand. I love it. He's just being honest like we are. Sometimes these things are hard to understand, Peter says. Which untaught and unstable people, false teachers, untaught and unstable, they, they twist the epistles of Paul to their own destruction as they do also the rest of scriptures. I hope you see this and you hear it because what Peter was saying here about Paul is still going on today in a very graphic way throughout the church of Jesus Christ. Unstable and untaught men take the scriptures he said all the scriptures here, Old Testament, the writings of Paul, Peter saying, they take the scriptures and do what? They twist them to use how? For their own personal gain. How can I manipulate you by using the word of God? There are false preachers doing it all over our nation right now. That's why you have to know the word of God. You've got to be a student of it. You've got to be in it. You've got to learn. That's why things like these small groups are so important. So we can be in the Word together. We can learn. We can grow. When you hear somebody preaching something that's not scriptural, that your ears will, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. And those red flags will pop up. And you'll say, whoa, whoa. Need to check that out. Peter continues. They twist the scriptures. You therefore, beloved Christians, since you know this, what Peter's saying, that this is going on, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, the false teachers. Don't follow them. But instead, Peter says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Peter talking about the writings of Paul. Paul warning the elders at Ephesus historically. This is what's going on. Now, as he leaves Ephesus, exactly what he was warning them about 
happened to the church at Ephesus. When John writes to them in Revelation and Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus is so sad. This is a, had been a solid, great church. And Paul was warning them about false teachers and, it, teachers. and then Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3 when he, all that message to the churches. You know what he says about the church at Ephesus? You have left your first love. You left your first love. You look good here, you look good here, but you've left your first love. What's your first love? The person of Jesus Christ and the word of God. That's what it's all about. They left it. It happened at Ephesus, it happened at Colossae, it happened to so many of those churches. By the second century after Jesus' death, this Asia Minor area was rife, just rampant with false teaching, heresy, the Gnostics and the Judaizers and others. So now Acts 20, verse 31. Acts 20, verse 31. Because of the savage teachers he'd been talking about, the false teachers, how does Jesus tell them, excuse me, how does Paul tell them to shepherd these sheep? Verse 31. Therefore watch and remember for three years I didn't cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I'm leaving. That's what we talked about last week. I'm not going to be here. Remember my example. Remember what I taught you. How I love you. I love these sheep. What do I need you to do? Verse 32. Number one on your handout. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are being sanctified. The most important thing any pastor teacher slash elder can do for you, what you should look for in a pastor teacher slash elder is not good looks. Not a great speaking voice. Not a lot of talent. What you look for more than anything else is that that man is a person of the word of God. First thing Paul says to them, stay in God's word. I read a great article about a month ago, kind of what Genesis a part of what we're talking about today, by a pastor that I admire greatly, and he said, here's what a great, and he has a mega church, huge church, thousands of thousands, and he said, a good sermon is not one that hits a hot button. A good sermon is not one that makes them feel good. A good sermon is one that takes the word of God and walks you through it. Use the term exegete, use a the theological term. That's why I love to take a passage and let's just walk through it. I, you know, I spent a year on a word. I've proven that. It's 46 years in the Gospel of John at the Bartlett campus. Got to chapter 12. I was so proud of myself. It's not one, there's nothing wrong with preaching topically, but that's not all you do. You don't hit, you just don't do buttons. What you have to do is get into the Word of God. And I love what we've been doing in Acts. For, be, by the time we're done, it'll be a year and a half. We're going to finish Acts this fall. That you walk through it, teach the scriptures verse by verse, and then you take it out and you live it. That's what a good sermon is, is that you're challenged to apply scripture. Let it change you. So he says to these elders, look how he puts it in verse 32. I commend you to God. The word of his grace. God. I commend you to God as a leader 
the word of his grace. Why the word of his grace? Because this word will build you up, number one. This word will give you an inheritance. Focus on the message of God's word. The message of grace is what he's saying to them. Why is this so important? Remember the culture in which this was written. And it's even true today, you just don't see it talked about as much. In the culture in which it was written, here's what was happening. We talked about it as we walked through Acts. We'll see it even more, we'll see it again in the next as we wrap up the book of Acts in Jerusalem, him at Jerusalem before he goes to Rome. The early church was at Jerusalem was primarily Jewish or Gentile? Jewish. And then, then God saves a man named Saul of Tarsus, says, that, I want you to take the gospel to the nations, the Gentiles, which, by the way, was Jesus' great commission in the first place. Go to the nations, the Gentiles, and make learner followers of me. The Jews didn't want to do that. They didn't like Gentiles. They considered them inferior beings. We're superior to them. We don't want anything to do with them. We've gone through all of that. Why is he saying to hear, hear to them? Let me remind you one more time. I commend you to God and the word of his, not law, but what? Grace. That was the thing they struggled with so much was understanding grace. Because the Judaizers were coming into the church on one hand and they were saying, okay, Jesus is Savior. That's great. Jesus is the Messiah. We will see. We will trust him. Be saved. But you also have to keep the law. The whole Jerusalem council thing that we dealt with. Basically, the result of that was if you as a Jew want to keep the ceremonial aspects of the law, have at it. But don't force that on Gentiles who don't even know what you're talking about and don't force that on them as a requirement or a prerequisite for being saved. That's legalism. And the gospel is all about grace. And if you don't think legalism is still part of the church today, you're not being honest. Where people say, you've got to do it this way or you're not right. Grace is coming to God as you are and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And notice how he puts it back in verse 32. I commend you to God in the word of his grace. Why? Number one, it's able to build you up. The word of God is what will grow you, strengthen you, make you a more effective elder. It will make you a better leader, a better shepherd, a better Christian. Talked about last week. If you're going to be an elder, the first thing you have to do is make sure your own personal life is in order. If you're, that you're walking with Christ, that you're serious about your faith. Before you try to lead anybody else, you've got to know where you're going. You've got to be serious about it, committed to it. Not a game, not a job, but your life is living Jesus Christ. The word of his grace. Not the word of his law, even though God used that, we learn from it. Their principles, those principles of the Ten Commandments haven't changed, the moral principles. He's saying, don't put rules and regulations, don't put a burden on people that God never intended. Be free. Because the antinomians, the other group of false teachers were coming in on the other hand, you flip the coin over, on the one hand you had the Judaizers saying you've got to keep the law, you flipped it on the other side, you had the antinomians coming in and said, ah, don't worry about it, just do whatever you want to, it's all cool. 
because your body and your spirit aren't connected. They're totally mutually exclusive, so you can sin all you want to in the body as long as you're spiritually okay. That one sounds good, doesn't it? That one sounds like fun. I can do anything I want to because my body has nothing to do with my spirit. Let me give you a theological term to describe that. Bull. You can carry it out in your own mind, which you've already done. That's exactly what it is. Why? I'm not doing anything in my body that I didn't think of what? In my mind and spirit first. What did Jesus say? What did Proverbs say? Your acts come from where? Heart, who you are, mentally, emotionally, intellectually, the choices that you make, then you choose to do those things. So here's what he's saying. Grace sets you free. The antinomian said you're free to sin all you want to. In Romans 6.1, Paul went crazy over that statement. Here's what he said. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! It's exactly what he said. God forbid! Because when you're set free, you're born again, sin becomes anathema to you. You can't stand it. You don't, you don't want to have anything to do with you, and it, it hurts you when you sin. And by sin, I'm not talking about murder, rape, adultery, just having a bad thought, being a jerk. Anything that is not of faith is sin that bothers you because of the presence of God is in your heart. You don't want it to be that way. But you realize you're set free, you're forgiven. Notice how he puts it at the end of verse 32. You get an inheritance also... We could spend weeks on the, what inherit, the inheritance is among all those, all believers who are being sanctified. Sanctified means set apart to be holy unto God. You're justified, you're born again. Sanctified is the rest of your life on planet Earth, the hard stuff. Living out your Christian life. He said, you want to, you matter of fact, you see all three tenses of salvation right here. You're born again, justified, you have been saved. One day you'll get your inheritance. You're a joint heir with Christ, he says in Romans. You will inherit it all as the bride of Christ. We will rule with him. Future, past, and in the presence, we're being sanctified. We're all going through the prophet. For me, it's been about, I've been, say, almost 50 years. 50 years. I don't know how much longer that God gives me on the planet, but you're still going through that process. And here's what he's saying. As long as you are here, particularly for leaders, you have to be men of the word of God as you're going through the process of being sanctified so the sheep can see how it works. So they can be drawn to it. So they can learn it for themselves. Learn the word. Apply the word. Live the word. Being sanctified because one day you'll get your inheritance because you've already been justified, glorified, sanctified. All the eyes. You got them. We talked about that a lot in Romans Here's what he's saying. You have a special role as a pastor, teacher, elder, leader, overseer, whatever term, bishop, all those terms in the New Testament mean the same thing. Those sheep need to see how a man is sanctified. When you're wrong, admit it. Because you're not perfect. You're going to mess up. You're going to err. Own it. Be real about it. Show them how a man deals with sin in his life. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You deal with it. Man, think, we think back over the years, particularly if you're my generation, 
think back about all the, the, the crazy false preachers and the things that they did and how they, they would stand up and say, well, Satan, it was the devil's fault. No, it was yours. You did it. Nobody made Jimmy Swaggart do what he did. and Nobody made Jim uh, Jones do what he did. Nobody made Jim Baker do what he did. Now, so was Satan happy about it? Of course he was. But they chose that. Years ago, I had a guy that I really admired, and I read all his stuff, and, and I learned a lot from him, listened to him back then on cassette tapes. Do you know what those are? Oh, but I, I loved to listen to him teach and read his books. Still have some of his books. He was at Biola University in L.A., and he had a great church, and he developed a relationship in his church with the uh, uh, lady who played the piano or the organ. It never became sexual. It just became an emotional attachment. He quit his job as pastor of the church over it. He said, I'm not worthy right now because I've been, I'm wrong. And he went to another group of elders and put himself under their authority in repentance. That's the way you handle it. He was real. He stepped up and said, I'm wrong. And for a while I need to step away and put myself under the authority of another group of men to bring me back to where I can then step back and serve the Lord again. Anytime he did. That's the way you handle it. Because what does that say to people? That's real. That's honest. We're studying David in my class on Sunday morning at 9.30. And man, David messed up big time. He messed up big time. And go read Psalm 51 and see his heart after he messed up. Killed him. Crushed him. He still made mistakes after that. We've studied one this morning. Of lack of leadership, where he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He didn't do what he should have done. But if you own it, it sends a message to the sheep. That's a shepherd I can trust. That's the shepherd who's not going to lie to me. That's a shepherd who's not trying to manipulate me. That's a shepherd who is honest, real. I can follow that guy. Not, not a liar, not a manipulator, not a con artist. Just telling me the truth with four fingers pointed back at him. I can't tell you the time that I've spent, particularly this, we joked about it with Steve and I last week, but particularly the time that I've spent preparing this lesson over the last two weeks, you understand how convicting this is to someone who is in this role? You're kind of like, oh, you need to come up here and I just need to, me and Steve and Rhett and, and Chad, we just kind of need to sit out here while you preach this to us. This is very convicting. That if you're going to be an elder, God takes this real serious, Bob. That's a New Testament term. Bob, <laughs> own it. And don't accept this role if you don't. And for, and for the wives of those, uh, it's, when we are discussing eldership with a man, we make sure we sit down and talk to the wives and say, do you understand the pressure that's going to come to bear on your husband and therefore on you? You have to have a special wife to step into this role. Not my role, just the role of elder. Very, you have to have a very special wife. It's not, they're not, it's, and if the wife's not ready, then the man can't do it. He just can't. It's, it's too much pain. Too much difficulty. I'm going to read you from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. So I think it's important at this point. You understand who Timothy was to Paul, right? He was his son in the faith. He was his, his boy. When Paul got ready to, Second Timothy, he knows this is it's the last thing he wrote, and he's passing the baton to Timothy to carry on in his stead. And he always knew that's what he was going to do. Timothy was very special to him. And in First Timothy, 
I'm going to read you this passage from 1 Timothy, and then I'm going to read you one from 2 Timothy. I want you just to listen closely to the heart of the pastor Paul and the apostle Paul to carrying on when I'm gone, Timothy. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy became the pastor at Ephesus. Do not give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Don't spend your time talking about wrangling over stuff that's stupid. That's the translation. Focus on stuff that will godly edify people. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Not not worth anything. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. In other words, they want to teach, just why? Because I want to teach. They don't even know what to teach you, they just want to teach. They don't even understand it. They don't know. They say they affirm it, but they don't even know what they're talking about. I said Timothy, don't get caught up in this. How much time has Timothy spent with Paul? Years. And Paul says to him, focus on godly edification. Focus on love. Focus on sincere faith. Stay in the Word of God. And then he writes to him in 2 Timothy, the last thing he wrote before he died. Know this. In the last days, by the way, the last days of church age, what we're in right now. Paul says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness but deny its power. From such people turn away, exclamation point. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Always learning, this is an incredible statement, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They know a lot, but what do they not know? The truth. They don't live it. They don't own it. It's not who they are. Secondly, on your handout, we'll go through the rest of this real quickly, because that was the focus. Specifically now, he says to them, here's how you do it. Number one, you have to stay in God's word. And number two, you've got to share in giving. You've got to be right in there with it, the sheep. You've got to share in giving. Verse 33, you see Paul's example. I've coveted no one's silver, gold, nor apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, the hands of Paul, provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I've sworn, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. His example. I'm not greedy. I'm a fellow worker. I'm right there with you. We'll talk about supporting the weak in a moment. In the book of Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, God said this, talking about false teachers. They're greedy dogs. Man, they're greedy dogs. They never have enough. 
What's the old saying? How much money does it take to make a rich man happy? It's a little bit more. Preachers who are in it for themselves and manipulating people can never have enough money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, Paul told Timothy. They're greedy dogs. They never have enough. They are shepherds. They cannot understand. Who cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his own gain, from his own territory. Come, one says, I'll bring wine. We'll fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. Come on, let's get drunk. These are the leaders. Come on, let's get drunk. Tomorrow we'll do it again. We'll have a good day again tomorrow. There are churches all over our country this morning that are filled with people who trust the person standing behind the wooden or plastic podium or metal, whatever it might be, and they're thinking, that guy would never mislead me, lead me astray. So whatever he says is cool. And there are preachers who teach that. You don't question me. I'm God's anointed. You cannot question what I have to say. Yeah, you should. You could keep taking it back to the word of God. Are they modeling it? Are they teaching it? Are they living it? He said, greedy dogs. Paul said, my example to you is I wasn't greedy. I was a fellow worker. I was right there. I worked myself, even helped to provide to meet my needs. Support the weaker. I want to come back to that. And then Jesus' beatitude. I want you to see that in verse 35. Jesus' beatitude. The middle end of verse 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is what's called the forgotten beatitude because it's not in Matthew chapter 5, not part of the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, we don't have every word recorded that Jesus spoke, but obviously the Holy Spirit felt it important have Luke included here. Jesus' words. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's probably the most, if you've asked people to quote something Jesus said, this is one of the ones people would remember. Life principle. Be a giver. Not a taker. So what's Jesus saying to them? An elder's got to avoid certain sins being careless, being shallow, being greedy, being lazy, being selfish. And that's what you should expect from your leaders. I want to wrap this up by looking at verse 36 and 37, 38. This sad goodbye. Sad goodbye. Verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. They wept freely. They fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. They knelt down, they prayed together, they cried together. They fell on his neck and kissed him. It was hard for them. Hard for them. Saying, I want your love. I love you. C.S. Lewis once wrote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. I share that at a lot of funerals I do, that quote. And it goes on to say, and I'll paraphrase the rest of it, the quote is, to love at all is to be vulnerable. But in that same part of his book, he said this, you could take your heart and just wrap it up in a cocoon, put it aside and never love anybody, and you'll have a miserable life. 
what sets us apart from the rest of creation is that we're relational. We're created in the image of God to love other people. And so what you should look for in your shepherds are people, men who are of the word of God, who love you, only want what's best for you, and you're drawn to that. I'm going to read you a quick story, and then we're going to be done. We're going to pray together. About a young lady that encountered a pastor and spent some time around him and got to know him. She wasn't a Christian. Here's what she said about him. When we met, I began to discover a new vulnerability, a warmth and a lack of pretense that impressed me. I saw in you a thriving spirit, no signs of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person and I like that. I saw you had a strong self-esteem, not based on the fluff of self-help books, but on something a whole lot deeper. I saw that you lived by convictions and priorities and not by convenience, selfish pleasure, and financial gain. And I'd never met anyone like that before. I felt a depth of love and concern as you listened to me and didn't judge me. You tried to understand me. You sympathized and you celebrated with me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity, not just to me, but to other people as well. All the guy did was be real as a Christian to her, and she was drawn to that, wasn't she? And if you go on reading the book, she gave her life to Christ because of what she saw modeled in that leader. That's what you should look for in leaders and expect and accept nothing less. That's why for those of us who are in leadership, and you've heard me say it many times, and I'll say it again today, and maybe it'll carry a little more weight today. We beg you to pray for us. We beg you to pray for us. We have a lot of hard decisions that we have to make and things we have to deal with, uh, currently in the middle of some, and we need wisdom. There are things that I've been praying about for years, months especially, but years, that God has not yet given us direction, and, and we need it. I ask you to pray for us. Some people say, what can I do ministry-wise? I can't, you know, I, I'm not, I can't work with students because I don't understand them. I can't work with kids because I, they'll drive me crazy. Uh, I can't, be, I can't, listen, listen to me, please. The most important ministry you can have as a Christian who's part of Christ church is to be a person of prayer. It's not a religious, futile exercise. It's calling on the God who is your father, who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, who is sovereign over the universe and has a plan for us. We just need to know what it is. We need to know God's will. Pray. Not just for your leadership, for each other, for yourself to be everything that God wants you to be. That's my passion for you as a as the senior pastor of Christ Church, I was sharing with that lady yesterday talking about Tony, and she goes, she goes, you have two churches? <laughs> I said, well, we have two campuses. She goes, well, that seems like a lot. I said, yeah, but it's great, God. It's, it gives us opportunities. Would you bow your heads, please? Fathers, we close out our time together today. I know for me personally, and I... And I think about my brothers or the elders that 
This is very convicting, but it's also very exciting to realize you give us a privilege and an opportunity to take care of sheep. And Lord, we need wisdom, we need guidance, and we need to know your will in, in areas that aren't revealed in Scripture. We, we ask for that. I thank you for our sheep, how special they are, both campuses, how special they are, and for the privilege of loving them and guiding them, protecting them, and shepherding them for, for those of us as elders. It is an honor, but it's a staggering responsibility. Give us wisdom, Father. For everyone who's seated here who knows Christ, I pray they become men and women of prayer, if not already. That ministry, if nothing else. And Lord, for somebody here who just hasn't said, like, such a beautiful picture today with Macy, you give your life to Christ, and publicly let everybody know that. There may be somebody else here that needs to do that. Lord, just have them say, turn to Jesus. I, I, I want to be saved. I, I want you, Lord, to forgive me, save me. I want to be a Christ follower. What an amazing moment. So, Lord, we, as we close out our time together, we commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.